Time for Seafood News. You're listening to the Seafood News Podcast, brought to you by Maine Lobster. The rocky coast of Maine is home to one of the most iconic and sustainable fisheries in the world. With 5,600 independent lobstermen from multi-generational families, the Maine lobster industry is committed to bringing sustainably harvested lobster from trap to table. To learn more about the industry's long history of sustainability, visit lobsterformaine.com. I'm news assistant Ryan Doyle. And I'm Erna Berry, seafood market reporter Lauren Castiglione. Thanks for joining us. In our top story of the day, the trade war between the United States and China heated up yet again last week as President Donald Trump increased the rate on $250 billion in U.S. imports of Chinese products from 25 to 30 percent, which will go into effect on October 1st. Trump made the announcement after China announced its plan to increase tariffs on U.S. seafood by 10 percent on September 1st, which would take U.S. seafood, including salmon, lobster, crab and pollock, to 35 percent. Now, new U.S. tariffs, which include a number of fresh, chilled, and frozen fish, which includes lobster, crabs, eels, oysters, bass, and more, plus the custom codes for haddock, shrimp, tuna, tilapia, and red swimming crab. Both the U.S. and China are nearing their limit on the range of imports to come under retaliatory trade tariffs, since total China imports of the U.S. products is in the $180 billion range, and the U.S. imports of Chinese products total some $550 billion. The tariffs implemented and proposed are now at those levels now. Both countries could continue to ramp up the rates, but already the lower tariffs have had a devastating impact on the U.S. seafood exports to China, particularly for high-value products like U.S. lobster. As we continue moving forward with these announcements, we'll be updating uh, a lot of stories on seafoodnews.com just to keep everybody in the loop because some of this stuff, as Laura knows, it changes, it changes a lot. A lot, and they're, it's hard they're, to keep up They're with. going back and forth, so things, things are very... Uh, changing all the time, changing all the time. And now we've been keeping up with the latest salmon landings in Alaska, and the latest update shows strong pink salmon numbers. Heavier than expected pink salmon landings in the Kodiak and Prince William Sound saw pink numbers jump by 10 million statewide from 106 million to 116 million. That means last week's total of more than 20 million pink salmon harvested could be bent again this week or even exceed it. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game's Blue Sheet, which updates landings every day or two, shows 187.9 million total salmon, including all species, landed as of August 27th, compared to 177.1 million landed as of last Saturday. The improved fishing has narrowed the shortfall between the current season and the recent odd number years. Total pink salmon landings are 116.1 million, or 84% of the preseason harvest forecast of 137.8 million. And Russia is also having a strong salmon harvest. Russia posted a significant increase of salmon catch this year, despite earlier forecasts of its inevitable decline after several years of record catch. According to the latest data of Russia's Federal Agency for Fisheries, the volume of Pacific salmon catch in Russia since the beginning of 2019 has reached 420,000 tons, which is 46% higher compared to the figures for 2017. The landings are slightly lower than the initial forecasts made by analysts and experts for the entire salmon fishing season in Russia, which were forecasted at 461 tons. 461,000 tons, excuse me. The biggest growth of catch was registered in the Kamchatka Territory, a traditional center of salmon production in Russia. As Russia's Federal Agency for Fisheries said, the growth in Kamchatka was equivalent to 58%. Still, despite the uptick in harvest, prices for salmon in the domestic market remain high. This is mainly due to its cost of transportation from the Far East and Northern region to the European part of Russia and the lack of needed specialized rolling stock. Last year, total 
The salmon catch in Russia amounted to 675,800 tons. So let's stay in Russia as the Russian fishery company commissioned the Russian cod fish processing plant in Murmansk and began construction of a second enterprise, the Russian haddock plant. Both projects are implemented by the Russian fishery company in partnership with a gamma group of companies. The design capacity of the Russian cod plant is more than 50 tons of finished products from cod and haddock per day. The new production will provide the domestic market with high-quality fish products and increase the export of agricultural products. As planned, it will export roughly 5,000 tons of premium-quality products per year. The National Strategic Development Project, International Cooperation and Export, is providing some of the drive for Russian seafood exports between 2019 and 2024. Meanwhile, shrimp landings in the Gulf of Mexico have been some of the worst in recent history, according to the Fishery Monitoring Branch of the NMFS, uh, Southeast Fisheries Science Center, and the Southern Shrimp Alliance. NMFS reported shrimp landings in the Gulf for July were only 7 million pounds, well below the 7.9 million pounds in July 2018 and the 8 million pounds in July 2017. The July commercial shrimp landings were 37.8% below the prior 17-year historic average of 11.3 million pounds. Only 1.6 million pounds of shrimp were reported as landed in Louisiana, the third lowest volume for the state in the last 18 years for the month. All told, Louisiana landings were 62.1% below the prior 17-year historic average of 4.2 million pounds in July. In Mississippi, only 415,000 pounds of shrimp were reported as landed, the second lowest total reported for any July from the state in the last 18 years. And for the year, landings of shrimp in Louisiana and the west coast of Florida are at the lowest levels they have ever been through the first seven months. Outside of 2010, the landings reported in Mississippi for the year are also the lowest they have been in the past 18 years. Shrimp harvests at, at historic levels in Texas and significantly above historic levels in Alabama have somewhat offset the low numbers for the rest of the Gulf, but landings in the region at 35.6 million pounds are the second lowest volume reported in the last 18 years. Yikes. So moving on to tilapia, June 2019 imports for frozen tilapia fillets were recorded at 19.7 million pounds, which is the lowest June on record since 2009, brought in 17.2 million pounds. Demand within the market is steady. However, some participants have reported an increase in inquiries from the retail side as buyers are beginning to prepare for Chinese New Year, followed shortly after by the Lenten season in early 2020. As tariffs are set to increase on October 1st, 2019, from 25 to 30 percent, planning for the remainder of 2019 into 2020 will pose difficult as the industry has experienced fall in demand in the wake of high prices in the past. July import volumes will be released on September 4th, 2019, so stay tuned for the next Tilapia Market update then. As always, Lauren, thank you for the wonderful insight. Anytime. And, and now, as Amanda would say, and we do already miss her dearly. Yes, we do. Now it's time for some fun news. <laughs> and I always say, as if my tilapia <laughs> update wasn't fun. Can you kick things off for us? Of course. So summer is the season for most fish surveys in Alaska. Now ocean-going, sun- and wind-powered robots are adding valuable information from other areas and different times of year to augment NOAA's surveys in the nation's most productive fishing grounds, the Bering Sea. Although sail drones have been used for years now, a new NOAA fishery study led by Alex de Robertis of NOAA's Alaska Fisheries Science Center identified precisely what they provide that a survey ship cannot. De Robertis's work d demonstrates that unmanned surface vehicles can expand the range and duration of ship-based acoustic fish surveys. De Robertis explained the new possibilities of using sail drones, stating ship-based surveys are limited because they are short and mostly done in the summer. We don't know what happens the rest of the time. Our results 
show that ocean-going robots such as sail drones now make autonomous long-term acoustic measurements possible. Scientists like De Robertis need to find out when, where, and how many fish are found in Alaska's marine waters. They also want to know which species and what ages are found there, all information essential to sustainably managing Alaska's valuable commercial fisheries. And moving on, in 2019, the idea of preparing and eating a meal as a family seems like an idea that went by the wayside long ago. However, the Seafood Nutrition Partnership is trying to shift the focus back to family meals in celebration of National Seafood Month in October. With SNP's new partner toolkit, which was created alongside the Food Market Institute Foundation, SNP provided resources, tips, and information to help promote seafood throughout October. The toolkit will be useful for health partners, seafood companies, retailers, and dietitians to utilize. The toolkit features resources for quick, easy weeknight meals, fun ways to engage your little seafoodies, smarter, healthier living with seafood, and Seafood 101, a guide to buying seafood. Now, Lauren, I, it's, when I was growing up, my family rarely ate meals together. And rarely did they think of seafood as an option in the middle of the week. You know, it was mostly- Right, when I think of like growing up, any seafood meals, it was fish sticks. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't something you could, you know, you weren't, you know, especially my dad, who is a uh, challenged in the kitchen, I would say. You know, he, he, he was <laughs> so nice he way to, to put yeah, it. Yeah, he used to prepare the dinner, but he would never come home and pick up, you know, uh, a salmon filet or anything right. like that. Um, but I think, you know, looking at this toolkit, it was easier than I expected. And as someone who's um, gaining some skills in the kitchen, not many, <laughs> but some, I, I think it could, especially if it's going to save time during the week and with school back in swing, I, I think it was kind of some interesting resources there. Exactly. It's almost like SNP is reading the to-do list in my mind. I, <laughs> you know, my my daughter, she's going to be starting preschool. So I want to get yep. on a, a schedule of us eating dinners, mm -hmm. you know, together as a family. Because mm -hmm. right now it's, all right, we get home, we feed her, <laughs> yeah. and then we don't end up eating till like exactly. 930 yep. at night. So having something that can help us figure out what to eat, mm -hmm. how to prepare it, you know, what's quick will be such a useful and valuable resource to not only parents, but everybody. Mm -hmm. So I think this is great. And I look forward to, to reading more about it. I certainly agree. And last but not least, Lauren, have you heard of this recent chicken sandwich war between Popeye's and Chick-fil-A? So I sit pretty close to our poultry department yes. and I've been hearing <laughs> a little bit here and there, but I haven't heard all the drama that's going on. So enlighten me. Yeah. So Popeye's uh, launched a new chicken sandwich and they kind of went to war with Chick-fil-A, which has obviously had a, a legendary chicken sandwich since the 60s when it was first opened. And people love it. People mm -hmm. are saying the Popeye's one's better than people oh. are fighting back with Chick-fil-A. But on Twitter <laughs> and Facebook and Instagram, it's taken over the world. Is it getting like nasty it's, out there? I mean, or is Popeye's, it just is all fun Popeye's and, like... Twitter account is pretty, you know, they they, they throw some shade. They oh, do they, awesome. they throw some insults. So it's pretty funny. It's fun to watch people fight about it as well. Um, but we do have seafood uh, entered into the mix. Uh, Jimmy's famous seafood is bringing back the crabby chicken sandwich, a chicken sandwich topped with crab. And it sounds delicious. And Jimmy Seafood has a, a big reputation on Twitter for being um, kind of crazy. They, yeah. they they take you know they 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 fight back and they <laughs> and they comment to companies all the time and they say things. And um, 
Jimmy's tweeted that they ran out of chicken, shortly followed by a JK LOL we aren't amateurs tweet, which threw some major shade at Popeyes. So seafood is now in the chicken sandwich war, nice. which I didn't think was going to happen. <laughs> so I had to bring that up for the podcast. And and they did do it for a good cause. On August 26th, all the proceeds, um, everyone that bought the Krabby Chicken Sandwich, all the proceeds there went directly to charity. Oh, well, that's uh, Maryland awesome. Maryland-based charity, which was awesome. So I thought it was fun, you know, to, to see seafood enter the mix of this massive yeah. chicken sandwich social media war. <laughs> and was it dope. just the the Krabby Chicken Sandwich that went to charity? Yeah, so yeah, I, I believe it was just the Krabby Chicken Sandwich. All right, good for you, seafood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> seafood, seafood's got that nice reputation. Right. Now. There you go. That's awesome. <laughs> So that about does it for us. Once again, this podcast was brought to you by Maine Lobster. Learn more about the history and sustainability of the Maine Lobster industry at lobsterfrommaine.com. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.